Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hello, this is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening. The blood of the land is how Jason Kesselring refers to wine. Jason grows grapes and makes wine in a place that sounds like it's from Game of Thrones, where winter temperatures drop well below 30 degrees, below zero, and summer temperatures can get over 100 degrees, where wind blows viciously year-round and tornadoes are common in the summer, and where last year at the end of May the temperature dropped to minus 23 degrees. Welcome to North Dakota, one of the most extreme climates in the Americas. Kesselring Vineyards is America's only Vitis Riparia vineyard, and it's been around for over a decade. Jason started the vineyard by observing and tagging wild vines, taking cuttings in the winter and propagating them a few feet away in his vineyard. Then he created additional blocks via Masal selection. And when I say propagate, I mean he literally just stuck the cuttings in the ground. And Jason says he actually had to spray them once in the last 15 years. What Jason is doing is revolutionary. But at the same time, it's the most natural thing that humans have been doing for thousands of years. The question it begs is, why isn't this the basis of American viticulture and wine? As you hear Jason's incredible story in his understated way that seems characteristic of this place in the world, that question becomes more and more poignant. As I talked to Jason, I became overwhelmed, not by what he was doing, but by how surreal and absurd the imported Eurocentric wine world is that I generally inhabit and that dominates the wine industry. I cannot thank Jason enough for bringing somewhat of an outsider's perspective to hold a mirror up to my way of thinking and for introducing me to a new world of extreme beauty. Enjoy. Well, Jason, welcome. Uh, I'm really glad that you could have this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited, excited to be having the conversation. So your last name is Kesselring, and uh, we're talking about Kesselring Vineyard or, or Vineyards. Is it plural? Yep. Or will it be plural? Okay, yeah. great. I mean, there, there, we, you know, technically we could just really have six produce, six acres producing right now. So it's, okay. uh, it's been kind of in stages and we kind of started with a small little plot and then we uh, kind of had the idea that uh, we'd write a grant to see if we get some money for the second plot. That yeah, well, and we got some money, and people were interested locally in what we were doing with the sustainable agricultural research sort of thing, and um, so it was really cool that people were digging in what we were doing as well, you know. So we were yeah. inspired to add on a third part, and now we've added on a fourth, which is basically double our size. Um, but well, let's uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Did you want to finish that? Oh though? no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> the the uh. The thing that I think will be interesting, um, you, the, that you've gotten a grant to plant a vineyard already says that something is unusual because most of us wine growers would not probably qualify for grants to grow yeah, our grapes. Yeah. Um, so I want to set the stage a little bit. Where are these vineyards located? Uh, well, um, it's on the east uh, border of, of North Dakota. Uh, it's in the Cheyenne Valley which is a river that feeds into the Red River, the Red River of the North as uh, uh, goes up into Canada. Um, Cheyenne I think Valley. a lot of people, 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Cheyenne Valley is kind of a little bit different. If you've ever been to North Dakota, a lot of people come to Fargo and they see a flat sort of area that's almost like Nebraska. Uh, Cheyenne Valley is a bit different. It's kind of closer to where Western North Dakota is. It's the sand hills and there's a lot of rolling hills. It's kind of the beginning of what we would consider kind of Western kind of landscape. Um, as opposed to the, you know, it's very Midwestern looking and, and, and is a different soil type in the Red River Valley compared to the Cheyenne. Um, uh. we have a sandy loam sort of soil where in the Red River Valley, it's really is gumbo sort of clay. And, uh, it's a different, I mean, I, I have friends that are growing grapes there and do great things with grapes. They're in the hybrid thing, but you know, we're into, uh, what's you know native to north america which is the vitus riparia and right uh, so well i yes so <laughs> that is the really exciting thing so i i mean i stumbled upon you and and there's just a little you know cool thing on, i i you know i'm gonna be honest i think i was looking for i was i was researching deer uh how to you know how to deal with deer in the vineyard and i was just looking for alternative ideas you know that weren't like full exclusion 10 foot high fences right. or you know or or implementing guinea hens that are going to annoy me you know yeah. or anything like that and i think that you had something on your website about that um and i just was like oh this is interesting and then i clicked the about page and i was like what is going on yeah. <laughs> so you say i mean so you you state basically that you're the only vitis riparia vineyard in america and yeah do you want to talk about how you got the vines for your vineyard and and how you developed your vineyard yeah um you know initially we had a few from south dakota and uh i mean two rows you know and we messed around with now where did those come from where the, um they're kind of closer to valiant uh or where is it vermilion north or south dakota which is you go straight down from where we're at you know so it's uh, it's a little bit warmer there and you know the thing is long story short we had these planted and we had a freeze out and they didn't really they weren't really cutting it in the kind of severity of our uh uh, winters in North Dakota. So, you know, for years I'd been, you know, one year I just made a point in the winter to tag every vine that I could find along the Cheyenne. Cause we literally have the, the ranch or the farm like along the Cheyenne. So these I, are wild grapes that you're walking along. Totally. Like, these are just they're like, native grapes that have grown for ten, for forever there. Yeah, like 20 feet away from the site of where we're doing stuff. And, and not only that, but there's, you know, going in maybe up to a mile into our, our land, we're along the rivers. And I've been over the years and, and our, our ranch hands or whatever have been on the lookout for these things, specifically looking for big fruit and good tasting fruit. Cause there's a whole host of different, A, I mean, there's the males cause it's a, uh, it's not like a normal right. grapevine, you know, wild grapes, you know, there's male and female vines. Right. Well, a lot of people, it's funny. A lot of people will be like, well, you know, I can't get these things to grow, you know, and <laughs> they, there's no fruit coming from them. Well, you have a male vine. probably. <laughs> um, right. And that, that's kind of a little trick there, but, uh, that's uh, right. What, what, 
are they are are normal like what you know most people are growing out here in california are they um hermaphroditic is that the do you know the the science behind oh their, and the biology yeah i do and is it like there's dioecious and then uh um which i believe is ours you know which it's okay you know it it's basically sexed where you know it's self-pollinating for for the domestic grape and um so that's a weird thing straight away you know that what separates right. us because i got to think about you know in the vine vineyards i planted some males in there just as a backup so that i make sure yeah. the fruit set happens is that are they do they provide pollen i mean are they mm-hmm. necessary they are okay yeah and you know really talking and i've talked to a lot of people because i mean right our we have a ton of males right on the bend where we're at so we should be cool as far as everything you know fruit set happening but i use some of them for windbreak that's another thing we can get into maybe later is it's really oh. windy in north dakota and Oh. It kind of helps with the pruning, I suppose, is one way to look at it, given it's a vigorous, <laughs> very vigorous plant. Um, it's, it's um, you know, I mean, getting back to just how we found them, we, I mean, we've been doing this for years, just tagging them and looking out and, you know, and somebody will come back and you'll be like, oh, we saw some over here. Let's get them. And then we got, you know, Vineyard 2 planted. Then we started seeing what was producing out of that and taking cuttings and uh you know in february or whatever and then uh you know planting those in vineyards so doing like a like a further refinement with a masal selection so the best of the best kind of thing yeah exactly i mean we're i mean uh we're doing i mean it's old school in the truest sense i suppose we're just you know we're taking what we see i mean it's almost caveman like yeah, yeah. I, mean, I have friends that are way more like scientific and they have chemistry backgrounds and everything and we're more like um you down in the dirt i suppose and kind of just trying to see what tastes good in nature pull it there how it responds to just a simple kind of classical uh training and pruning you know yeah and and, and you're no go ahead so you're uh so you're, you've tagged, you, you started out by literally tagging the, the native plants that were just growing wild along the riverbank. In the winter yeah. you came, you took cuttings. And then did you did you start them in little grow pots or did you just stick them right into the ground in the vineyard where you wanted them to Well, I've to done both, but we start we initially to get the vineyard started, we put them, and I worked with NDSU with their greenhouse to start with. Okay. Especially when we got the grant, it was like, well, let's let's do this right. And they were like, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll gladly help you with this. Cause they were fascinated by it. They're really, they have a great breeding program cause they're really into hybrid grapes, you know? And right. one thing about Riparia is it's very, uh, it's resilient and like down to negative 71, I think. It's oh my God. It really, it handles that really well. <laughs> Um, what i think is funny is that you probably know that from experience (laughs) totally no i've been out there where it's like negative i mean just last week the the day before you called i was it was negative 33 when i got in the car and it's uh, so it's really severe kind of we hit those kind of we have such a weird temperature range up in north dakota and of course it ranges up to one one eighteen. you know one i've seen it where it's been like one you know in the low hundreds, but they're on record, you know, I should say. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've, I think we have the world's record for the most extreme temperature shifts, you know. Wow. 
So wow. that's something that'd be said. I mean, for grape growers, it's kind of a big deal. And yeah. our dangerous zones <laughs> are really in the spring. Spring killed me last year because oh, it was how like, so? well, oh, we can frost. play frost. It was a you know, yeah. play frost. I don't have to worry about after Mother's Day, like May eighteenth. But this thing came down. It was just one day. It was like sixties almost, and and like one night it just decided to hit negative 23 and it was like late last last week of may so we were gonna have a wonderful crop but that's the kind of danger with growing that stuff growing our grapes or any sort of grapes in our areas is the uh, severity in the spring and then in the fall i look the one thing about us is we look for the frost to happen right before we harvest so so yeah, you want okay. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that. But you want, um, yeah, yeah, you want that in the fall. In the spring, though, I mean, so how resilient are they? Like when that happened, did you lose everything, or did you know did some come out later? What we or, had. You know, what? I, I'm. I was thinking we'd get secondary buds coming through. I think we really what we had last year was the tertiary it was last you know third bud happening and it was wow. very little but that was a okay. very freakish it was very freakish what happened last i mean year. it sounds freakish yeah that's crazy <laughs> i don't know what, I mean, what was going on there and it was like kind of just in our little valley that it happened so you get those things you know it's yeah kind of a weird area for that sort of spikes that happen huh um that's amazing well Okay, so how so how old is you know the the vineyard now? Like, how many generations of propagation have you been able to do from the original cuttings along the riverbank? Yeah, I mean, really, for once it was established that we, what we're going to be using, you know, we we're probably I want to say oh eight oh nine is when we were really using it i mean the stuff that was from south dakota's back so we've been going 20 years and we ripped out the south dakota vines because they just weren't hacking it and right i was seeing stuff just we had this little bridge and i this one plant that was just produced and every year produces just an amazing amount of fruit i mean we <laughs> were just for our family we'd go up into the trees you know and, and harvest that um, cause it's way up high though. Usually the fruit is like way up high and right. You know, um, we'd pull some of it down, you know, and do kind of like a pruning, I suppose in a certain sense, but you know, right. <laughs> um, but we, you know, we were learning, I mean, you know, that was kind of pre-frost we were doing that, but it was right before frost and there's such a difference after frost. That's really where you start getting, I don't know exactly all the chemistry that happens there i just know what it tastes like it's like it the skin gets slack there's a kind of i would call it almost like it's fermenting on the vine at that point oh wow yeah it like has it... a kind of i don't know any on the the temperature and everything um they're just it's set on for winemaking at that point where if you do it beforehand and this is the classic thing where everybody talks about uh, with Rapari. It has a, you have to walk, you'll get a weediness, you'll get a green apple kind of taste with it. You wait till afterwards in a hard frost and it's a different game. It's still wow. Riparia, but you know, it doesn't have the kind of. 
Well, what, when you say it's still Rupari, so what are some of the, you know, I mean, it's for so, somebody whose palate is trained to, you know, European varieties, what what would be some of the differences that you could expect when um, drinking a wine made from Riparia? Well, you know, it's it's a funny it's a funny grape, and some of the stuff I find it like you know I have a a pretty decent kind of uh, knowledge of wine. You know, I mean, I it has a boldness to it. It is definitely, and you know, if you just have pure wild grape. It, it can come off like as bold as a cab, but it has this kind of very layered sort of berry sort of, you know, you can taste everything from some years you can taste raspberry really pronounced in it. Hmm. And you kind of have like a dark fruit. Um, when you're smelling it, it's very, the smell of it is really great. Um, especially when you're, when you're fermenting it and you can almost get into, um, you know, almost kind of tobacco smells and that sort of thing, or almost chocolatey smells. It has a very interesting sort of. This all sounds delicious to me. Yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, it, it really, it really is. It's di- is it, it is a different sort of uh, grape. How, how did how did you discover the this need to let it go through a heavy the grapes let the grapes so you let the grapes hang until the first heavy frost basically assuming the first heavy frost doesn't come while they're still green <laughs> right right which came close one year where we were like oh crap wow. september you know i mean we've had you know, it was funny during this whole thing with the covid that there was like literally in nature we were finding really wide swings like yeah 2020 it was like we had like a september snowstorm wow and i had to really kind of um i let them hang for a little bit after that, but you know, and then the, the warm temperatures come, you know, that's the thing. It's like, then you have that and you have to make the call before they're, it gets too warm. You know, <laughs> Normally uh, in October, it gets cold, you get the hard frost and, yeah. and then it's cold, you know, and you don't have to worry about all the weird stuff that can happen with heat heating back up after the first frost. What, what what do you mean by that? What what, what weird stuff would happen? Well, I mean, in, in you know, what I was worried about was probably some you know, God, you name it, um, just some rot. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Know, mildew uh, pressure, mildew, yeah, fungus of some on mold. Um, yeah, uh, got it. It's um, and also just the wind comes in because after that first frost, they become slack and they're kind of delicate. So the berries, you know, the grapes can start falling off really easily yeah. after that. And, okay. And, um, you know, and when a fr- when a frost like that comes in early too, the, the thing is that um, the stems aren't fully hardened off and and dried, and yeah. that kind of sucks. But like in an October, late October, you get it, and they're totally dried, and you know, you don't have to worry about any green sort of uh tastes and kind of that herbaceous thing is not so uh pronounced at all actually it's just you know it actually adds to the i i keep them on the stems and crush them you know oh you do like a, a whole a whole cluster yeah thing. so with the stems are included as they ferment yep uh yep. for about i would want to say four to five days five days would be probably what i would keep them on and then we press Okay. 
So pressing and it's probably still a little sweet when you press. Oh yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. What, so what, um, do you measure, you know, your bricks and your pH and everything like that when you're harvesting? Yep. I, I mean, obviously when you're, when you, you're using nature as your guide rather than a, a number to harvest, you know, out here, it's like we could let it ripen until December some years, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, so we sort of have to keep a measurement, keep an eye on things and we can't use that first frost as a, as a, as a barometer, but is it more, I mean, are you checking before that first frost or are you just saying like, okay, we're, we're going to wait, we're going to wait, we're going to wait. The grapes look good. Okay. Here's the frost. Great. Let's pick and then measure. Or are you measuring up to that point to see where, you know, where they are in terms of sugar accumulation? I'm definitely and checking pH? sugars because I want to see where we're okay. at that way. Um, okay. You know, I definitely check pH once we're harvested more so, but you know, I do it before and that, but um, what kind of, so what are you finding in terms of sugars and pH around harvest then? Oh, you know, the pH can be, it's not too bad. It's like 3.6, 3.7. Uh, the P, oh, really the sugars, yeah. the sugars can be really, we've 2018, we bloody had them at like 29. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Which is I mean, nuts. I mean, it's, but you know, it's, um, it did this last year it was 27 you know 26 um great That's... i think the thing is like you hold, let them hold on and after that first frost i mean there's a little bit of dehydration maybe that kids put into it as well because they're hanging on the vine longer so i think yeah it gets it's condensed in there it's a weird structure to the grape um i've harvested them I've left some hanging on certain trellises just to see what would happen like in harvest in january yeah and they don't fully freeze they get kind of um i don't know how to it's just a kind of weird um mushiness and they you're more in danger of them drying out if anything gotcha um but it's like i'm I'm guessing i mean with a lot of fruit like that when you freeze it it basically explodes the cell structure mm -hmm. in in you know within the grape because of that you know the crystallization that happens yeah, yeah i'm guessing something like that happens so you just it loses all its turgidity um and I, I don't know i'm just guessing is that is does that sound right based on yeah what you're experiencing on that yeah, end? Totally. yeah i mean i think that's what what is happening and you know i'll you know even with that being said you know the cell structure is kind of after that big freeze i mean the freezes are funny too because it'll be like a some years it'll be like a snowstorm comes through so it'll be like the days before we're harvesting, there'll be like, I mean, there's pictures on our like Instagram or whatever of like snow drifts on, on the vines. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> which it, it's kind of ridiculous. Those are good photo ops. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally <laughs> really awesome. insulating the wines at that point from the 71 below temperatures. Totally. totally. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, normally it goes back to like, well, when, by the time we're harvesting, it's like, you know, upper forties and stuff like that. But, you know, oh, um, it's just, it dips down and usually it'll be like a couple freezes. I'll allow it to have like light freezes. It usually happens like, you know, it hits 31, 30 for about an hour or two that night, but then all the, the big one will come and it'll be like 28 for like you know six eight hours 
in the evening. Oh, wow. And that's where it's yeah. the sweet spot. And I don't know, you know, I, I wish I did know, you know, what was happening so, there, but uh, I just know what when you, in the, you know. It, that's what I was going to ask. So w- when you say the sweet spot, are you, t- are you describing the chemistry, the, t- the flavor, the, f- the, the flavor of the grapes, the flavor of the finished wine, all the above? What, what is the sweet spot? Um, it's kind of, I judge it by kind of, it's it, it almost like it gets a jelly, like the, the actual s- grape structure and it, there's okay. a slackness to the skin. I mean, that's where I'm looking for it. Like, it's really, oh, this is going to be good, you know? Um, yeah. Not every year and so that- it happens, but when you get that, it's like really, really pretty great. But the problem with that is if it gets too much like that, harvest is kind of a bummer because then people are having to pull oh, stuff up. You know, and it's, it's, it's a little more fragile. Got it. But you're, what you're saying is when it gets to that state, it makes really good wine. Like the wine mm-hmm. ends up being delicious. Yeah. And I don't is know, that... it's like somehow the flavors open up more because you get the good yeah, dark just, cherry. Yeah, yeah. You get this kind of like, I taste like a weird tobacco thing. And I don't, I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, you know, and there's like, you know, the, it, uh, it's a very autumnal sort of vibe to the whole taste of it. Mm. You know, it's very deep and kind of, um, I, I almost, it makes me think more of like a Hungarian wine, you know, like the dark red kind of bull's blood sort of wine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. it's spicier. You know, I had a friend take some of it and she was putting peppercorns in it and weird stuff like that and she like infusing it yeah and that was really interesting it lend itself that way so it has almost like a eastern european kind of quality to it is way i'd put it you know maybe some of the italian red wines were that spiciness i'm trying off the top of my head uh but even that there's a severity to it that can be it's not really tannic. It, there's a fruitiness. It's very different than, you know, you know even <laughs> when you, it doesn't, when it's dry, it doesn't, it's still, there's this kind of, kind of berry kind of fruitiness that it's a dark fruitiness to it. That's, um, it's kind of interesting and stuff I've been doing with it is because, because we have so much honey in North Dakota, we're, we're like the biggest producer of honey, I think in the world, or at least in the States. Oh, wow. And, um, we just literally have an apiary, like walking distance from us. And right. he's got wonderful clover, honey, wildflower, honey, and mixing that stuff. in, then all of a sudden you're playing with some really nice layers of stuff. And that's where I'm kind of like, I can start getting into more of the, the more Promethean sort of, I'm not really wanting to do classical styles. Because yeah. I don't think that's really realistic in the environment we're at. You know, I think there is always the good sensibilities of how you train vines and how you make wine and balance and stuff like that. We're dealing with a kind of, you know, the tastes of these things and what, you know, um, you know, everything kind of, how am I trying to put this? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean the, the the actual local food, and you know, are you talking about brand, so to speak? You know, I mean, are you sort of talking about terroir, like, and, and yeah, sort of reflecting I mean, that? I, I, I think, and really, there's a smell to you know everybody's area and taste in the air and what they, um, what grows around. There really, I think, influences wine. I, 
you know, you start, I mean, some people think of this, you know, totally mystical sort of sounding, but you know, wine is kind <laughs> of that, isn't it? You know, it's kind of a, yeah, it is very much, uh, it's it, very it much more than as just much as Apollo. Right. You know, it's, it, it's, yeah. I like the wildness <laughs> of it, but you know, it, it, it's, um, that's my approach to it. I, I kind of like it so for that reason. I mean, when you're talking about the numbers that you're, you're, you know, that your bricks level and your pH level, those are, you know, I mean, that's California style, you know, like in terms of, I mean, people are, I mean, you know, the new wave of California, we're harvesting at like pH of three, two with, you know, at, at 20 bricks, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, so you, you're, you're well, you're like Napa cab range really with those, sure. with that chemistry. Sure. Um, and so when you're adding the honey or is that, you know, I mean, you certainly don't need to bump up the sugars at that point. No, <laughs> so I'm wondering, but it, so what are, what are you doing? How are you trying it, different it stuff? Cuts, it's, it's cutting some of the acidity of it too. And it, okay. it kind of like allows it to breathe more. And there's something that happens, especially with the clover honey. Um, though I've, the wildflower honey is interesting with it as well. You know, and as I say, you know, it, it's kind of a bit of an experiment, too, to see what can we do with this. Because, yeah, we could do a kind of a nice cabbish sort of. I've even, you know, with the honey, you can almost get into a Pinot Noir sort of quality to it. Interesting. Um, it, it, it has that. I have made stuff where it, it has a lightness to it. It's not going to be as delicate and refined as that. Uh-huh to my, my tastes of it, you know, it's very drinkable. Right. It's, uh, um, and with that, you, you know, the honey brings out the kind of layers of, I mean, it's a layers of berries in it. I don't, I mean, um, you know, you have all sorts of dark cherry raspberry, especially this year, it was just like crazy off the vine before we, in September. I mean, I was tasting a raspberry, in it and it's just like what the heck why is it that you know this year you know some well, years here's no go ahead uh, well i was just gonna say maybe maybe the question that i'm struggling to ask is what is the what are the values or philosophy that that are guiding these decisions like you already mentioned that you're sort of trying to you know you're trying to represent this sort of ethereal or intangible element to that specific place on earth is that is that what you're trying to do like what because and and do and what else do you do i guess is the second the follow-up question to that is there i mean so honey is one thing and what other what how how are how are these values or philosophies guiding i mean tell give me the whole story about how it's guiding in the winemaking sure um you know a lot of it is just and especially in that area, you know, a lot of it is just what we're getting from that area food wise, you know, so there's stuff that, you know, we, my wife and I, we will forage all through there, you know, and it'll be uh-huh. everything from like chicken of the woods, sort of, um, mushrooms, foraging from mushrooms, you know, there's a lot of venison that you get in uh-huh. that area. Cause everybody, that whole culture there haunts. So if you're a media, there's that aspect as well. Um, Uh You know, there's a kind of, you know, in that area specifically, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, I mean, we've taken wormwood, mint, everything with the meads. We also make meads, of course, because it's, 
there's honey everywhere and it's amazing <laughs> honey. I mean, it's some of the best tasting honey I've ever had. Um, so wow. it would be foolish for us not to do that. You know, we're really into keeping it local as possible. Even the, you know, the oak barrels we do have, they're, they're from Minnesota oak. And, you know, it, to me, I think all of it, and there's some intangible aspect of it that I feel like it's just got to be everything's local, you know. Yeah. We're getting and sourcing from that little plot of land is really important me, to me. There's some, some of it's Why is that? Um, you know, part of it is the process, really. Uh, I think that's the ins- inspiration for doing it and the craftsmanship, you know, and, and mm. you know, creating something our own as to it, what it is, as opposed to a lot of people make wine. And for example, and they'll be like, well, I want this grape to be like, you know, a California cab or uh, uh, tastes like a, a French Bordeaux, you know, and right, not really right. into where they're at and being who they are you know, and really yeah. refining and balancing out what they're doing and taking the things that are given to them right there that they can grow in that climate, in that, you know, in that terroir. And, and, you know, that's to me, you know, I mean, that's what everybody did, you know, it's like yeah. going back to how wine was developed in medieval France, it was just form follows function. They didn't, they had barrels and the barrels were not like, they weren't thinking the way a lot of <laughs> you know, right. people are thinking now. It's like, yeah, um, they're just, uh, they're trying to make it, you know, it's like, you, you know, um, some of it is just, you want to make something that tastes good. And this is how, yeah. and this is in, in accord with what we have around here. And right. I mean, it, it, there's a certain simplicity to it, but there's, a, you know, anybody that's been out in a vineyard and worked in it and you, you know, you just get to know the weather patterns and just, if you've done it for years, there's something else to it. And there's the art for like, um, there's a kind of, there's the kind of mystical kind of quality of things where you start to, you can't really pin it down, you know? And I'd imagine, you know, you, you can't put a number on it, you know? Because it, it isn't yeah. about a number every year, right? I mean, it's there's the smell, the taste. It's just a feel to certain things. And, you know, I can't really say that, um, you know, the numbers, you know, you just, I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're just working with uh, what we what you got, right? I mean, that's every yeah. winemaker ultimately. And some years are shit. Some years are not so great. And some years are amazing. <laughs> And then you're yeah. working with that. And then it's like, you know, sometimes you can screw up a good year, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And some of the bad years are the things that you find golden. I, I, but I think it's this, how you're interfacing with the, the actual land that you're in. You know, and I'm, I'm not really thinking, I don't have a lot of background in sort of um, chemistry or anything like that. It's really just, more of the inspiration of just the landscape, tasting those vines. You know, you just know, you know, your plants when you're dealing with them and you know kind of where the climate and what you're eating with it and that sort of thing. I mean, it's more simple, I guess, in that way, you know? Yeah. Well, and well, let me ask you, what, what is your, I mean, what's your background in, 
I mean, we're are is is are you a farmer? Did you? I mean, did you grow up in a farming, you know, agricultural situation, family? Like, what what got you out interacting with the land so regularly? Um. Well, my my, my yeah, all, all my family out in that area was all farmers, ranchers. Um, I have aunt and uncle; they're buffalo farmers up in the Missouri. So there's kind of that sensibility of, of doing those sorts of things, you know, and I just grew up with it. You know, I was always in that, in that area. I know that river really well. I've gone up and down it, whether being canoeing or swimming in it and all that stuff. So it's, um, I don't know. It, it, it's just kind of natural to do that. So wh- wh- yeah. why we did it was initially just because the love of it. why not make some wine out of this, right? You know, and we started yeah. doing that, and um, it kind of just snowballed from that. And people were really interested <laughs> in it, and you start giving wine to friends and that sort of thing, and showing yeah. people what you're doing. You find other winemakers, and you know, it, uh, the great thing about winemaking and wine people that are vintners especially in our area is like it um everybody kind of teams together and they want to trade information you know it's um because you know there's a pioneering aspect to it as well it's you're breaking new ground you know a lot of these guys are, are dealing with hybrid grapes which you know that's totally pioneering in that area they're they're facing sometimes they face dieback's that are just insane you know right they and then they'll quite have the hardiness at the same time. So it's like, um, Oof, well, it's yeah. part, it's, it takes a kind of, I mean, everybody, if you're like, <laughs> in this area, <laughs> it's kind of like you're, it, there's a little nuttiness that goes along with it, you know, which is a good kind of nuttiness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or masochism, maybe. Yeah. Um. I think, you know, it's weird because <laughs> it's like, it is a kind of, you know, in North Dakota, especially, there's a kind of weird sort of pioneer sensibility. And then everybody's Scandinavian. So they're all kind of like, you know, is that kind of Viking blood sort of thing where, you know, you just, you're living in, like, like I said, negative 33. There's a sort of ethos to it, you know, it's <laughs> where you kind of, you know, especially this time of year, it, it, it's brutal. But at the same time, you kind of like it a little bit, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Like going yeah, out no, to like I... prune, you know, and it's like it's two feet of snow in the vineyard. <laughs> there's a honestly, there's something awesome about that. And the wind coming down. I mean, you're in a parka and it, you're just there's something about it. that's really great at the same time. And that's uh, amazing. You know, yeah, I did a little time in the Midwest and uh I, I mean, I went to school in Iowa, and then I, I did a I did a cattle drive in um, Western South Dakota. Awesome! And I remember I remember being out there and just being like, I cannot believe I'm like out in the middle of nowhere, you know, haven't seen a person for you know three hours of driving, you know, yeah. and I'm like, and then there's a North Dakota, you know, yeah. like I was like just blown away at the scale and scope and the the sort of vastness of of that that terrain and yeah it's it is it's it's all inspiring and um does have an ethos to it for sure yeah it's uh i I love hearing you talk about it actually i mean there's a whole scope of people i don't mean you never know what people think outside of it but it is there's a scope of people that that come through that are real kind of rugged individualists i suppose but they're 
beyond that, you know, they kind of have their own thing. And it's like, I don't know what it is, you know, they kind of, you know, I, the winemakers I know are all kind of like eccentric in some way, (laughs) you know, I mean, in a good way, but it's like, you you kind of like that extreme experience and, um, wine, you know, wine generally, I think sometimes people think of it as more of, um, well, you're always about balance in wine, right? But like finding the balance in the, that real extreme of frost and fire, literally. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's kind of the, the thing that you're, you're, it's driving you on to try and hit that, those magic years. Like you, last year, it was a total bust. You know, we didn't get a lot. But at the same time, you start getting more innovative. Like, well, we've got to work with honey more. You know, and that sort of thing, right. You know, because it's and that's lucky. because of that crazy frost that you had, that yeah. late crazy frost. That so that's why it was such a low year, and then you have to totally. I mean, it adjust totally decimated. But I mean, everybody has to adjust when they have a bad year. I mean, I'm sure California you have all sorts of things that come through. Yeah, um, yeah, and then insects and stuff like that. It, there's no kind of free lunch in the thing. It's it's uh, I don't wine, <laughs> you know, winemaking in general. There's a little bit of what, that craziness to everybody that it, does that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it sounds like, I mean, using the grapes that grow right there, like directly adjacent to the vineyard that you've moved them into, mm-hmm. sounds like the best insurance that you can have, at least, uh, for for some of this craziness. Is that, I mean, at least the climate craziness, the, the yeah. Totally. That, I mean, you it, know, yeah. we, we've never had dieback really. You know, I've had some stuff happen where, you know, it was really cold one year and we had some split trunks because it, it was like in, I don't know, before everything hardened off, we had a really hard freeze. So, of course, you're going to have some. I mean, no vine is going to be impervious to that. But yeah, as far as like, for us, those vines, they know they're used to that genetically or whatever it is. They're used to that climate, um, yeah. getting whipped around in the wind, um, <laughs> and, okay. and how they, how they respond to pruning and all that sort of stuff. But well, that reminds me, okay. You said, uh, you're using the males to create hedgerows to, or windbreaks, Um, I think that's brilliant. And I mean, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, what I basically did is I started using the male plants, like, you know, I'd stagger, I don't know, I basically did some in the middle and on the edges on the outside. And, you know, it kind of comes through because that wind, I'll just let, I won't prune those. Right. So I'll, Mm. I mean, I'll prune them to a certain extent, but like, I won't prune them like, I'm pruning of females and so they're nice, big and bushy. And so when the wind comes through it, 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 you can get, I mean, if I'd let it, you know, that wind can whip those things around and you start losing all everything, you know? Um, and uh, it helps quite yeah. a bit to have those big bushes. Cause Vetus riparia is like, they turn into bushes quickly. <laughs> So it's a wall, <laughs> you know, and even in, in when right. we're pruning in, in summer, it's kind of like, we get a lot of rain. It's a lot of work without a doubt. Yeah. And, um, you'll have just a, a giant wall and to get everything where there's enough. The nice thing about the wind is it, 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 it dries everything out generally, but 
you know, right. Vitus Riparia also can it'll just start binding together and you gotta go through and pull everything apart so that you know you get enough airflow if it's really a lot of rain. You know, I've right. never really had any problems with like a little bit of downy mildew or whatever. Um now, nothing. are you spraying for any of this stuff or, or do you no, not need no, to spray? No, we haven't had to really spray yet and knock on wood. You know, I mean, that's yeah. one of those so, things that, I mean, I say Do you that. do anything in the vineyard? Like, do you have to irrigate? Do you have to, you know, we, do you have to fertilize? Do we did to... put it in a drip system that we got. Initially, we got it when we wrote the grant. We're like, well, we'll get these established in this area and we'll just do a little drip system and that worked well so we put those in but i try to like you know last year was a drought on top of it but we didn't you know it uh i take it as it comes i i don't i try to mitigate watering to a certain degree yeah because it's like they're really vigorous i mean right right. otherwise you're pruning all summer (laughs) and that's so you're you're basically are you watering just then when when it's a when you get a, like a dry spell or is yeah it, do you, i mean are you okay. i mean august will hit like a really dry spot generally and you know that may be a little bump because i mean um you know i try to i'm still for me i'm trying to get like a little bit of the feel for watering these things and when the fruit uh in august you know that's where verasion hits you know so we're kind of okay i was gonna ask yeah um you know i tend to you know in august i try to give it a little shot of water at that point but it's every year is a little bit different to be honest it and and there it's like some years will be just crazy rain and you wouldn't think it you know and then sometimes it, it won't be anything at all and last year was like nothing it was just a really bad drought so other than water i mean what else do you have to do in there besides prune and water um, and hedge it sounds like you're doing a lot of hedging throughout yeah. the i mean a lot summer. of it is just keeping you know the wind is knocking things off the trellis system a lot and i mean so just you're tying going retying up, everything right, got it cutting things out um you know i mean a lot of the shoots at the bottom get crazy you know, so I, okay. I'll get like my, I'll get some people to come out there and we just go through there. But I mean, the thing is about this, this plant too, is it like pruning it, it activates it, it fights back a bit more. And like, even with pruning uh, in general, so you get a lot of lateral shoots happening. If you're, right. If you're too right. aggressive with pruning, like I got really aggressive one year. I'm just like, I'm going to do this. And, and man, I had lateral shoots coming out every which it just, it fought back harder is what basically happened. <laughs> it's like a Hydra, right? Yeah. Cut pretty, off one head and you get like 10 more. Yeah. It was, um, totally. The, so is that, are, are they putting fruit out on the laterals or no? They can actually. It's okay. weird. Yeah. Though. I mean, that's the, the part where, um, they well, last year was kind of odd. So, I mean, they're shooting out fruit even in August, there was like little clusters that were trying to form, but I, I don't know if yeah. that's normal. And, uh, I have, I have some peanut plants that do that too. Okay. Um, th- yeah, a couple, I mean, they're just monstrous for whatever reason. I don't know. They got some really crazy peanut plants that they like put laterals out and the laterals put laterals out and all of, they all put out grapes. So I'm, I'm like, yeah, same thing. Grapes are growing, 
are yeah. forming, you know, going through Verizon in November, yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. if I let it. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's so. Uh, I mean, there's so many. So you haven't said anything about spraying anything. So I'm guessing you're not spraying anything. No, I mean, we, we try to avoid that if at all possible. I, I don't think, you know, we had crown gall one year that we had to spray for. It was really okay. bad. Um, other than that, no. I mean, it, it in general, I, I kind of, you know, it's really about, you know, if we need to water, we water. And otherwise, a lot of it is pruning, to be honest. Even on right. and so no no you don't need to till uh I, I don't know do you what do you do for you know the grasses I mean do you mow or anything like that Yeah we do mow um, okay I I mean you know I mean we have grass we put down initially we put down like some um, plastic when we put it down but the grass just grows right through it and the plant once the plants take root that root system seems to just it holds on you know i've never really had a plant totally die back um, yeah the way um some people have had you know like the hybrids um, yeah nobody's crazy enough to be growing straight vinifera there are they not that I know of. Not that I know. okay. I mean, I mean, I don't know how you do it in North Dakota, to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, because, like I say, like the severity of and, and um, I mean, there's probably somebody. Somebody did once. It. it lasted a year, basically. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> surviving the winters. You know. Yeah. I mean, they can. Um, the hybrids are really interesting. What I've had of them, I'm like, uh, was it the crimson pearl? And, petite pearler ones that are really kind of interesting you can make very nice more delicate reds out of that um but it's a different flavor you know i think the thing is is like it's there's a point where people are going to have to be when you're dealing with the hybrids or what i'm doing you can't look at it like it's a california grape or it's or a european grape or you know far eastern or whatever you know it's just it's its own thing really and yeah it, it, we have to like look at it differently i mean I, I i look at the wild grape as a totally different beast in a lot of ways because uh you know it's so dark and red is it like a deep purple color um i mean these are the ones that you've propagated yeah the wild grapes yeah and when you say you look at it differently, do you mean, I mean, what, how does, how does that impact what you're doing and seeing um, in the vineyard and in the winery? You know, I mean, it's a kind of a work in progress in some ways. So I'm still trying to figure, mm-hmm. I mean, initially I was thinking you know, like, we'll, we'll just do a, you know, an approach where maybe we get a nice, good, you know, like a dry red wine that's and you know i actually got some stuff that was very nice almost bordeaux like and at the same time it was like well it didn't have its it was kind of forcing the character as to where you know what i'm saying mm. and riparia has its own thing you know and you know i've taken to for our own wine doing crazy stuff with it you know with the honey and then like dry hopping yeah wine and oh yeah you mentioned the dry hopping how how did that turn out oh i think it is actually dry hopping the riparia was 
strangely works. Um, I don't know if it'd be a commercial thing, but it's definitely from, you know, for your palate, it was... my palate was really interesting. And I, I, you know, we mix in honey with it, depending on how much, you know, a lot of this is coming into blending, you know, and, uh, right. You get, you get your set for the year and you see what you come up with. And, and I think it's just, it's going to be a, I mean, a lot of, I'm kind of more inspired by what, you know, mead makers are doing, especially in Denmark. There's some stuff that I've come across and I'm like, well, that is, it's so outside the box compared to what's normally going on in the wine world. And, yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of in, intrigued by that, you know, as to, um, you know, I love the classical stuff, but like wine, wine has been a lot of different things since it's inception, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know why we were stuck on one sort of like trajectory, which is, it's kind of Bordeaux based, right? You know, even in California, <laughs> everybody's referencing that. And now California is yeah. kind of, or the mainstream guys, and they're doing their thing and they're the template, but there's like a lot of different places and a lot of, I mean, you look in Greece and you got Retsina. I mean, I, I mean, that to me is really interesting. Like a piney sort of wine. Some people find that kind of strange but you know i think people's palates are getting bigger and bigger in this day and age too so who who's today yeah. really i mean i i'm kind of in a postmodern zone i suppose on wine a little bit but um, <laughs> well, it's like why it's not like, what, what if it works that's that's great i think i mean if, and there's why not try different things i mean wine used to be a lot contain a lot more herbs and, and, and spices over the years. And, you know, in ancient times, it was almost like that was the carrier for the medicine, you know? So yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know, how it's become one thing where it can be, I think it can yeah. really grow into a lot of different things and people's perceptions of it um, and play with it a little bit, you know? Are you suggesting a diversity in the wine world might be a good thing? I think so. I think, I mean, look what happened <laughs> with beer, you know, I mean, like, oh, these, right? these yeah. breweries come out and uh, <laughs> I think they shocked a lot of people <laughs> with just, hey, I mean, some of them present like uh, what fine wine, you know, they started taking that on, which was a unique sort of approach. And then there's like the gimmicky sort of things that people do, which is great. And there's stuff that's really hardcore, sort of like, you know, smoked beer and that sort of thing, which is, you know, that's going to be more probably uh, for a select um, kind of people. But, you know, it, 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 you know, I, I think it's, it, we're living in an age right now would be really, especially in the wine industry, I, I could see a lot of things happening where outside of the box coming in, you know, a little more Promethean and an upstart sort of thing happening. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, wine to me is like the cool thing about it is it's so close to the ground in a way, you know, if yeah. you, you make it and there's something about that process is something primal about that process to humanity. And, you know, um, I, I just, I think people, you know, really doing that and, and taking what, you know, from my philosophy is just what is there i mean even fruit wines you know and stuff like that like a friend of yeah. mine jokes about in north dakota there's a lot of rhubarb wine 
Yeah. You know, but it's like, you know, but that's what they have, you know, and what, yeah. what we have around, there's a lot of rhubarb. So, and it's like, well, that's a local sort of thing that's, um, they're making that, you know, and it, it's, yeah, it's uh, what we have at hand, you know, we can't, it grow, sounds we like can't something that a, would go, no, go ahead. I, I, I was saying, I was just going to say, it sounds like something that would go really well with venison, depending on how you prepared it. Totally. Totally. A rhub- I mean, it's something like that, even, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's all a reflection of what people are eating there. I mean, outside of the kind of like, you know, in the, you know, uh, what do you call it? You know, the kind of more corporate sort of eateries where right. it gets the homogenized sort of stuff. But like what your people that are like, you know, really going out there growing stuff. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that's, for me, that's the kind of the philosophy of just doing this from the beginning. Was, yeah. What, 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 what can we do with what the land offers us, you know? And yeah. how can we make it better and how can we train it? How can we take a lot of the ideas of what have been done over the years, but how do some of those ideas don't apply to us at all? Cause we're in North Dakota. Right. And yeah. uh, no matter what we do and how much we wish it's not going to be a Merlot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know what I'm saying? It's it, it we just get, it's not going to be. Yeah. yeah. So we take a lot of different materials and, and figure out what, how to make something good to drink out of that. I mean, it's, you know, it's as simple as that kind of, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, Jason, you've, you've taken the most natural, most obvious f- steps to that. Anybody, you know, with that, who just landed on planet earth, I think would take to create a wine, which is look around, find the best things that are growing nearby, propagate them in a way that, you know, and en- en- enhances that the good things that you want out of them and then make wine from it. I mean, the fact that it's revolutionary is the funny thing. You yeah. know, the, the fact that it, it isn't being done more often is is what's so surreal <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, what you're doing is absolutely sane and natural and just so you know, normal, like it's the normal thing that anybody should do. Um, I'm just laughing because I just, the whole thought of, of like this, this imported world that we have in, in the wine industry is, is, I mean, it's so surreal when you just look at the approach that you've taken and how, I don't know. I, I, yeah, yeah, I totally know what you mean. I mean, it's like, I love that at the same time. Like I love being able to experience all of that and all you know, like I say, I, I, I really like, um, across the board. I like, I mean, wine in general, you can just, you almost take a trip with each one from yeah. different regions. And I, you know, it, uh, it's, there's something beautiful about it. You know, I mean, it, it really is. I think that's the kind of core kind of principle behind it. You know, it's like, it, it is, um, a reflection of where it comes from, hopefully. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a kind of approach too where you can be like, "Ooh, it's all in the chemist's lab," which that's kind of cool too. <laughs> I mean, but um, the stuff that really makes me excited is, you know, how is this a reflection of this this terroir? But the terroir is really like the culture that's interfacing with it, and the sensibility of it, and what they're eating with it, and you know that sort of thing. To me, 
it, it that's the kind of inspiring stuff that comes out of it. Yeah. Well, I know we brought up hunting and I told you I was looking on your website. So I just wanted to ask before we sign off, what do you do about all those deer and eating potentially your grapes? Oh, it's quite, it's quite simple. Um, we have like a little, um, electric fence. And what Uh I do is I put some electric tape on it and a little bit of peanut butter and they go up to it they'll sniff that and I'll get a zap on the nose and they stay away from it. And it works. And, and it, I know it sounds crazy, but it, it works because I'll have. <laughs> and so that, and also that's helps. around everything that's around the vineyards and, and it, you don't have to put up a huge, big fence. You just no. do that. The first, the first one we put up a big fence that was, a, that uh, we kind of walled off with, uh, we grew, we, we have wild grape vines growing on it. So it's like, they will come up to that and they'll, they'll munch a little bit, but not as much as you'd think. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've never had them try to get in since that putting that up. They just, you know, they'll be all around. They'll literally be yeah. in the fields next to it. And like, I have like on our website, just pictures of them all over the place. But yeah, that's, is a trick I learned from uh, a Minnesota vine keeper and he said it was just as simple as that he had one 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 strand one strand we put two up which Uh um they you know you put a little peanut butter on it and they go up and sniff it and it i think they can smell the electricity is one one somebody told me it's like they can smell it they like they also know i don't know deer are weird sort of animals i don't know how they perceive things but um they definitely stay away from the violence and um you know i mean hunting season happens there only like for it's usually like a couple weeks yeah a couple weeks in late october so it's like the harvest is already done by that time so um i've never had them try to hop in you know and even on the on the perimeter fence that we have them growing like a wall uh, a little bit in the spring they'll eat the green shoots like the eat those a little mm. bit but you know uh, other than that they don't and then we, thankfully we have a lot of corn fields and, and alfalfa fields around too so that's probably that helps yeah helps quite a bit as well G- gives them something else to, yeah. <laughs> to, to distract them <laughs> well um you mentioned your website what is your website that you want people to go to if there is one oh, or, well, or what, how- one of the you know the, our instagram on kesselring vineyards is kind of up to date you know it's almost okay weekly where we're showing what's going on out there and it's so if you want to see what it's like in the deep winter and when we're pruning and and (laughs) we have a lot of animals um there you're seeing like weekly updates of coyotes and deer and you name it uh eagles and i mean we get a lot of stuff just flying around and there so it's you know um yeah, do you have to worry about gophers at all tearing up roots or anything? No, you know we've had problems with voles one year, and voles. Okay, and they kind of it was a heavy winter, and they um, they like girdled the trunk, right? Yeah, like, they just chewed up like a oh I don't know how many, but it was a good amount. Some of them survived, but other than that, we haven't had that problem really. Um, we've been pretty fortunate, so knock on wood. I mean, you know, the biggest thing is probably the frost in the spring is our 
you know, um, yeah, that, contend with. Well, man, I mean, this is, uh, I, thank you for sharing all this. This is really cool to talk to you and learn more about it. I, it's, uh, it's, it's just very cool. I, I can't even, I don't even know how to put into words why. I mean, like I said, it's just the most normal thing. And yet, uh, you you put it really beautifully in the way that you spoke about the way that you approach it. And it's uh, it's just a, I, anyway, I'm very happy to have had you share your story. Awesome. This is fantastic. Yeah. I'm, Thank I'm, you. Got to talk. Yeah, man. Thanks. I hope, uh, um, yeah, we, it's kind of a primal kind of approach we have, I suppose, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a, that's kind of the landscape we're in. So (laughs) (laughs) I love you, you've mentioned Vikings on your, on your website that I was looking at and it was, uh, I mean, you mentioned something that I have, that hasn't been brought up on this podcast by any other guest before that North America was originally found you know but the first europeans who came here so they were those vikings in like 1000 ad and yeah and they called it they called it vinland yeah yeah um because of all the grapes growing on vineland basically yeah and they were making um, wine out of it too is which is really kind of interesting that they were they found it good for making wine grapes at least in the sagas that they that they have in the vinland sagas and such that vinland is that how it's pronounced okay yeah i mean at least how we pronounce it yeah here, but it uh it. yeah yeah and i mean it's very likely I, I don't know what other grape variety it would be but the one we're growing um which is a northern variety so it's very likely that that's what they're pulling um and taken back to iceland and greenland and i would love to know what the heck they were ma- doing with it but uh i wonder that there's probably some genetic trail we could follow on some vines you know planted somewhere up there you know in iceland or greenland and be like oh look there they are the yeah. <laughs> it's like a north dakota riparia yeah, or something totally, totally. <laughs> you know wherever um <laughs> <laughs> uh, well thank you very much man it's been really great to talk to you i, I thank you for sharing your story awesome. and i hope people i hope i are now the one final thing though i <laughs> would be remiss to, to not say would is buying your wine it's not quite out yet right so people need to check back yeah tune in within the year we're we're gonna have a a wild grape uh, it's a port style fortified wine pure wild grape sweetened with a little honey and then we're gonna have we have probably 2017 2018 2019 will be bottled shortly thereafter and some meads as well wild grape meads um so we're playing around with a few different things so and and are there? Do you do a dry wine as well? Do you do just a straight riparia dry wine? Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping to okay. have that at least uh, 17 and 18. I think we'll have a, just a straight dry wine there. I mean, 18. Oh, that's 18, a lot of age. What What are you aging them in? Uh, they've all been aged in oak barrels at some point. Uh, the, the, the Minnesota oak that you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, I think 17, to be honest, was uh, that one was a French oak. No. No, that was American okay. Oak, but it was, I, I can't American. say that that was, uh, Minnesota. Uh, it was, I can't say that was Minnesota. I'm not sure what the location of that. Probably like Missouri or something. Yeah. Or Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, still that's fin- Okay. So a lot of H. I, 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 I mean, I didn't even, I mean, there's so much more we could get into, but that sounds really interesting. I, I, I mean, 
are these really tannic wines that you're tasting and you're just like, I need the tannins to calm down or why the long Yeah, some of it's that and the, the acidity. I like it's just, it starts to roll off to me and soften a little bit. I like it that way. Um, but that okay. being said, yeah. I'm kind of more inclined as, you know, I get to know this grape more, you know, we're kind of, um, you know, each year you learn about it because you're, you know, you have the prior year and how, how it ages i don't have a reference really to you know it's not like you know other grapes <laughs> i only yeah. have what i have and that's how i know it ages this way and uh, what it does and you know we have a good <laughs> 10 years of experience of real wine that we could have drank over the years and um how it ages um it just it hits a point after you know for me three years it's really great but that being said i'm finding you know people really like it straight away too so yeah um you know we'll see it, it, you know the initial thing like i say was we were wanting to make a fine sort of drier wine and now i'm kind of feeling more that you know the the mixture of honey into it really starts like it takes into a different zone to me like yeah more like us you know and what we're doing and what more of that my personal ethos of like we're taking a lot of different things and putting them together okay. making something better out of it um i mean it sounds really simplistic but that's kind of what you're doing no i mean um, that's great i i think it's it's craftsmanship i think it's yeah it's like knowing your place and feeling your way through it and yeah that that all sounds good to me yeah yeah (laughs) well thank you again i appreciate all that i'm really glad we got to chat here and uh, i hope people uh are interested in what we're talking about i think i think uh you know it's wine making is uh Uh, I think everybody should do it, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, well said. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. I really appreciate your time and attention. I want to introduce you to the Ecological Wine Score. It's a new way of scoring wine that will soon become the only wine score that matters. Now, I know if you're like me, you don't really care about wine scores. They're subjective, they always score certain types and styles of wine higher, and most importantly, they don't take into account the farming behind the wine. I personally don't care if your wine scores 100 points and is considered the best tasting wine on earth if you grew the grapes conventionally with chemical sprays and herbicides. I don't want to drink it. The ecological wine score changes all of this. First of all, the sensory experience of the wine only accounts for 10% of the score, and it's determined by multiple certified wine professionals rather than one appointed expert. And the rest of the score is determined by clear objective benchmarks that evaluate human and animal welfare, vineyard ecology and terroir preservation, and operations, winemaking, and packaging. I created the Ecological Wine Score because scoring wine-based only on its flavor is like awarding the Nobel Prize based on how someone dresses. You can really only judge greatness in context, or the judgment will be meaningless. So check out the Ecological Wine Score at ecologicalwinescore.com. This is the future of wine scoring.